Welcome to Radiant Midweek. Here we go. Hey there, welcome to Radiant Midweek, and uh, if you like what you're hearing these past few weeks, take a moment to hit like or subscribe on there. That'll inform you when new podcasts are coming out. We're going to try to get you a new one every week. That may not always be possible, but uh, as we continue this series through the end times, I hope you're enjoying the materials, and don't forget to tell your friends. What is Radiant Midweek? Well, it's really just our attempt to take the conversation beyond Sunday morning and give you some things to think about and study throughout the week. Oftentimes there are subjects and other things we'd like to explore that we just don't have time on Sunday morning or it's just not the appropriate place to do it. I'm hoping Radiant Midweek allows us the ability to dive into some of the issues of our culture, maybe even learn and meet some people in our community. We're exploring all kinds of ideas on how to continue the conversation throughout the week, get outside of our walls and live beyond Sunday morning. So welcome to Radiant Midweek. I'm so glad that you're here. Welcome. That's a taste of what's coming up. Uh, a lot of exciting things going on at Radiant Church. One of the things we're going to be launching here in the next week or two is a podcast. And uh, the desire is to take this conversation beyond, like we said, Sunday morning and to have some more resources for you to engage the Word throughout the week, to learn some more. Sometimes there's things we can talk about on Sunday morning. Sometimes there's deeper, longer conversations that can happen throughout the week. So we'll be launching that podcast probably really here in the next week. Uh, we filmed about five of them to get ahead. We're looking forward to it. What are we going to talk about as we first launch into this uh, podcast? We're going to talk about the end times. And uh, anybody out there want to talk about the end times a little bit? Anybody awake out there? All right. Now, the pause I'm, I get, because anytime I've kind of brought that up around folks, they, they get kind of uneasy. You're like, the end times, I don't know. And you know what? Your uneasiness is completely warranted, because the truth is we've turned the end times discussion in America into a carnival and a circus with a bunch of clowns. And, and I'm saying that on purpose. It has been made into something it was never meant to be made, and it has become a way for a lot of people to make money out there, and that's not what we're going to do. Jesus talked about in Matthew 24 and Matthew 25 what the end times would look like. He is also who is talking to John in the book of Revelation. He wanted us to understand what the end times would look like so that we would be prepared, so that we can endure. He did not want us to be in the dark about this issue. And the truth is, for us to ignore the end times is like reading a book but not reading the ending of the book. It seems completely silly. So we're going to dive into it, but I'm hoping to, re to remove the silliness, the cir circus clowns, and the carnival, and let's just talk about what the Bible has to say, what are the things we can know, and what are the things we don't know, and, uh, and dive a little further. So those will come out each week. I'm looking forward to that, and I hope you are too as a way to continue a conversation and learn more. Uh, some other things coming on next month, we're going to talk about uh, Mixed Bags, the sermon series. And one of the really cool things at Radiant is that we are blessed with all kinds of leaders. We have interns, we have other people that are developing as leaders, and just other leaders out there that have kind of landed on us. And we're so excited that the Lord has done this. That's one of the signs of a healthy, growing church. But uh, one of the things we like to do in the summer is to give them an opportunity to build on their skills uh, and for you to hear from them. So throughout the month of July, we'll be having our various interns, leaders, and other people talking through uh, that time and sharing what the Lord has put on their heart. And so that's why we're calling it Mixed Bag. Everyone's kind of, I've asked all the leaders, hey, 
go talk to the Lord. Tell us what it is he's put on your heart, and we'd love to hear from you next month. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, several people have asked, though, oh, so does that mean you're gone in the month of July? No. Nope. It just means I won't be in the pulpit, but there's plenty of other things to do around Radiant Church, and we need to. There's some things to position us in the future. This will give me the time to focus on that. Uh, there's some things to launch. There's some uh, construction work that needs to be done, some other things, and uh, this will allow me the time in July to get us positioned as we head into the new year. And uh, so I'm looking forward to that, but no, there's not a sabbatical. There's not a vacation in this thing. I might take a few days off. We'll see. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's Ben always telling me to take a day off uh, on that, but we'll see. But by and large, we've got a lot of work to do in July, and this will give me some time to do that. Some quick up updates then on what's going on as far as reach and some of the strategic planning we've been talking about. Uh, we're moving forward with the daycare over at Pleasant Hill and uh, the remodel there, and that will greatly affect then what's next for Ankeny also, and we're looking for a place for Ankeny as well more and more these days. But uh, as far as that, there were four hurdles that we knew we have to cross over there. The first one was state. The next was uh, local and permitting. The third was we needed to talk to our landlord, and the fourth was we needed to identify a director and assistant director as we go forward. Uh, I'm proud to say to you we have uh, jumped over the state one and the state has approved our plans and so we're past that and we're very excited on that next up in the conversation is the local I don't foresee any issues on that but famous last words right um, and then also uh, the landlord uh, we need to talk to about the changes we're going to be making and a few other things and uh, we've stepped heavily into the director assistant director conversation as well and we're looking forward maybe in the next couple weeks to being able to update you with what's going on in that area so everything's moving forward it's just not moving forward as fast as I would like right now, but since I like everything yesterday, uh, it never does. And uh, so be in prayer uh, and a couple of these important conversations as we, uh, as we deal with them. I suspect we're about four to six weeks away from construction uh, and people asking what's the opening date, for instance, of the daycare at Pleasant Hill. And the answer is uh, currently it's to be determined, but I suspect it's September, October at the moment. And that's what we're shooting our darts at. So everything's going well. We're moving forward on that. As far as the REACH campaign, we have raised nearly $70,000 of the $440,000 that has been pledged. And give that up to the Lord if you could. Yep. Now, somebody uh, at Pleasant Hill was quick to point out, and they said, I thought it was 430000 And the answer is, 10 more came in afterwards. So we're praising the Lord. That's how Radiant works, and uh, we're looking forward to that. I'm so thankful. On the other side, uh, it's always my job to just keep us in the know on this. When we finished the month of May, our general fund, which is how we pay our bills, was 20% down from where it has been on that. We saw a significant drop on that. So I need you to really keep an eye on the general fund. Remember, giving to that is different than giving to reach. Be honorable to the tithe. Uh, another group is kind of said, well, Pastor Jason, it's like you're talking about money a lot lately. Uh, and the answer is, and I do want to reassure you that I enjoy talking about money about as much as I enjoy going to Michael's uh, as a store. <laughs> I hate that store. <laughs> I, I really don't like craft stores uh, on that. So... Uh, grin and bear with it. My goal is not to beg or to, to guilt or anything. It's just to keep you in the know. You can't step into what you don't know. And so just trying to inform you and keep you updated on that. So that's just a real quick overview of some stuff going on. The Lord is at work. This is really cool. We're celebrating 10 plus baptisms, double digit growth. God's working at Radiant Church. We're so excited on that. Yeah. Yeah. 
But we're here to talk about Titus, so y'all mind if I jump into that real quick? <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, may my words be your words, my thoughts, your thoughts. Whatever distractions are in the way, Lord, help us to just move them aside right now. We need to hear from you because what you are saying to this church 2,000 years ago applies to Radiant Church today. We love you in your name. Amen. I love Titus for a reason, and it's primarily because Paul's writing to a pastor, so it's like he's writing to me in this book. Titus was a pastor of the church there in Crete, and he's warning pastors everywhere to keep an eye on four things in particular in this letter. The first one is he'd be asking the question, are you holding a high bar for your leaders? Are you keeping that level high for those who claim to be leaders in the church? Are you, are you teaching appropriate and sound doctrine? Are you confronting sin and false teaching? And is your church focused on doing good? For a lot of people today, especially in America, this, this really wouldn't match their definition of what church is for and why it exists. Uh, for a lot of people, they, they would say, I, I don't think that the church exists to hold me accountable or hold a high bar to leadership. Uh, for a lot, it just say it exists to entertain. And it, and it all falls under a category that, that we talk about behind the scenes that I call MT, MTD, which is Moral Therapeutic deism, all big words there. So I want to kind of share with you what this is. But this in many ways is so resembles the American church today that we just need to be aware of it. What do I mean by moral, for instance? When we talk about moral, what we mean is I come to church so that you can teach my family right and wrong. We want to develop good morals and ethics. I don't need any of that supernatural or spiritual stuff. Just help us to be good people. When we talk about the therapeutic part, we say, well, church exists to make me a better me and to improve my life. I want the promise of heaven and I, I desire self-help. And if I'm being honest, what I really mean is health and wealth in my life. But I do not wish to surrender to a king. And the last one is deism. And what that means is I acknowledge there's a God but I am not interested in a personal relationship with him, nor do I want this God calling the shots in my life. I want to say I believe in God. He's far off in distance, watching from afar. He is the clockmaker. He builds the machine and watches it play out. That's how most people in this country want to approach Christianity. They just say, listen, I just need some good morals and ethics for my kids, you know, and I, I just want some self-help. Give me three ways to spice up my marriage, you know what I mean, on that. And, and you know what, I, I, I like God, but don't talk to me about this supernatural stuff or anything like that. Let's just keep God off at the distance where he belongs. Paul does what great leaders do when talking to this pastor. Many of you maybe know the story, like, for instance, of Vince Lombardi, you know, the famous one where he walks into a locker room one day with a football, and he says, boys, this is a football. What was he doing? Well, he was saying, we're going to go all the way back, pull everything back, peel the layers off, and we're getting back to the basics. And you're going to watch. This is precisely what Paul does here in chapter 3. He's going to peel it all back, and he wants to remind them of where they came from and who they were before Christ. 
And so as we jump into Titus chapter 3, verse 3, what does it say? He says, at one time, we too were foolish. Morons, right, Bob? Right? We too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice. Curious word, we'll come back to that in a minute. And envy, being hated and hating one another. But, I love that word. This is one of the big buts of the Bible. Pay attention when you see this word. But, when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by grace, we might become heirs, having hope of eternal life. Can I get an amen? a beautiful picture of who we were before Christ and the enormous gift that we have been given. And that's what Paul's doing. He's pulling them back. He's like, don't forget where you came from. And he starts with, in that first notice, he starts with slavery. Know that when you were in this old life, you were enslaved to all kinds of sin. You were enslaved to passions and pleasures. And, and, and this is precisely, by the way, what Jesus was saying in John chapter 8. If you want to do a study, he walks into a group of people and he says, whoever sins is a slave to sin. Paul would talk about that and says, you are enslaved by whatever has mastered you. We fail to understand sometimes how in our slavery, it not only is destroying us and who we were created to be, but it ends up destroying the people around us as well. Our sin is never just personal. And he says, you're trapped in slavery. Don't forget, that's where you came from. You need freedom. And so he's just backing it up, and he's backing it up. And he remind us, and if you have your fill-ins today, I really want you to fill these in today because I really want you to go through this week and look at them again. I really do. Your first fill-in is this. He said, salvation begins when we recognize our sinfulness. It starts when we come to the reality that I am a sinner. If you've ever been through like the 12-step program, what's step one? Admit you have a problem. We have to come to grips with our sinfulness. Why? Because then we begin to realize that we are powerless to set ourselves free. You can do nothing to save yourself. Don't forget where you came from. Salvation is about setting you free from the old life so that you can become more like Jesus. And this isn't done through self-help. It isn't done by attending church. These are all fine things. But we're going to discover it's not by works. You must die to your old self and be born again. That is the gospel. Now, I want to look at that word I had in black on there, malice. Interesting word. You know what I realize? It's another one of those words, words that you could be reading this passage and you see it and you think, maybe I kind of know what it means and you'll just keep on reading. But how often we don't stop and say, 
Let me dive in and find out really what this word means. What is malice? And simply put, it's this. Malice is having no shame or regret for your sin. Sound like a culture we live in? No shame and no regret for sin. Isaiah would warn us in Isaiah 5, he'd say, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Know any clever people? We live in a culture that likes to call what is evil good. And as a result, we have no shame for missing the standard of God. And so follow along in this paragraph, because this is the one I'd like you to read a couple different times this week if you could. Healing begins when we come to grips with our total depravity. Woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips. And we are reminded of our utter dependence upon a merciful God. Why? Because in our failure, and when you sin, that's failure. In our failure, we are given a glimpse of this perfect Savior. And in comparison, we see our inability to meet His standard. And in this realization, we finally comprehend the futility of the situation. For God is God, and I am not. We are unable to fix ourselves. And that desperation should drop us to our knees in humble regret, crying out for a salvation only this Creator can provide. In our sin, we are given a gift. You might think it's a curse at first, but we are given a gift of this perfect, holy, righteous God. And when we see that this God is perfect and holy, we see the brokenness and who we are, and it should drop us to our knees in absolute embarrassment, crying out to that God, forgive me, I'm sorry, help. But how many of us instead shake our fist at God and choose to live without the shame? and regret. Paul points them to washing and rebirth in that verse, in that set of verses, and we could be quick to say washing, rebirth. He must be talking about baptism. He's not. Same Greek words here go back to Jesus talking to the woman at the well, and when he was talking to the woman at the well, you might remember, he told her, you need the living water. The living water is the Holy Spirit. He's telling her, you must have the Holy Spirit dwelling in and through you if you want to live out the way of Christ in your life. And so it's interesting, because that woman at the well, she spent her entire time in that conversation at first talking about religion and where you should worship and how you should worship and who the right worshipers are. And Jesus kept trying to take that conversation away from earthly things and move her to spiritual things. He was saying, you don't need to care about these earthly religious things. You need the Holy Spirit living in and through you. And you, my dear friend, you need the Holy Spirit in you. 
Curiously then, in those same set of verses, Paul would say, might become heirs. And if we stop for a minute and go, that's, that's interesting. I mean, is he uncertain? Has he got a moment of doubt here? Is he not sure about salvation? No. Because he goes on to highlight grace, and it's there we understand what he's saying. See, we know that grace is a gift. Here's what I know about gifts and gift giving. There's one who gives the gift and one who receives the gift. This is important. It seems simple, but this is so important. Because imagine you're at a birthday party and everybody shows up with a present and they set it on a table and, you know, we all kind of stand from afar in the room. We look at the gift. We're like, man, that is, those are pretty gifts. That, what a beautiful bow, you know? I love the wrapping paper on that. And we're like, yeah, these are just great gifts. And we turn the lights off and we go home. How weird would that be? The point of salvation is this. Yes, the gift of salvation is available and given to you freely, but you must receive the gift. And I need to ask you, have you received the gift? Have you opened it up? Have you brought it into your life? Paul would remind us in Ephesians 2, he would say, it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this isn't from yourselves. Remember, you can't do this. It is the gift of God, and it's not by works so that none of you out there can boast. You cannot earn your way to heaven. Salvation is a gift freely given, but you've got to receive that gift as well. And salvation, you can see here, we've talked about this before, requires two things. By grace, God offers you the gift of salvation, but it is through faith you receive it. Remember, faith without works is what? It's dead. And so I'm going to ask you again, have you received the gift of salvation? It's here Paul turns the corner to pretty much summarize what the entire letter of Titus is about. In verse 8, he says, I want to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. And at first we might think, wow, that sounds really good, doing what is good. I, we're all about that here at Radiant. But let me take a step back for a minute. What does it mean when we say doing what is good? Do we really have a handle on that statement? Because a quick look online of asking what the definition of doing good is, and it'll show us it's to act virtuously, helping others to be beneficial. And man, that sounds good. We need a whole bunch of other people out there in our community doing that. But then this is again where I constantly say, make sure you've got a Bible dictionary or something nearby because it may or may not align exactly with the culture. And when we go and look further into the Greek words on this, we do see some minor differences that are very important because when we look at do good in the Bible, it means beautiful to look at, excellent in its nature, and so important, praiseworthy. Because you see on the online definition, I can say, well, I'm virtuous. I'm helping others, I'm beneficial, and these are all good things. But they get to an important point that we need to be reminded of. Did you know that people who are far from Christ can still do good things? 
Just because you do good things doesn't mean you have stepped into eternity. It is not by works. You will not earn your way into heaven. And notice when we have that definition there to act virtually, helping others be, we, we can say, I'm virtuous, I'm helping, I'm beneficial. Who's it all about? Me. Instead, the biblical definition is different. And it says that we do good in order to show people the beauty of Jesus. That our lives are meant to reflect his nature. And all that we do praises him. Notice how we moved the discussion just then about what I did to what he did. And let me ask you, who gets the glory in your salvation story? You or God? See, doing good points people to Jesus. It's never about me trying to impress or earn my way into heaven. In other words, what we're saying here is this. Every breath you take, everything you do, is meant to be an act of worship that points people to Jesus. That's what it means to do good works. It points people to Jesus, not you. Truth is, you're just not going to earn your way to heaven. Titus was talking about two different sets of leaders that entered the church and were harming it. We talked week one about one set of those leaders, and we mentioned it earlier. There was a group of leaders that had come in that claimed to know Jesus but lived their lives like the devil. There was a second group, and we didn't have time to cover them in week one, so we're going to have to cover them here. And I need to be just really vulnerable and transparent with you for a moment. I think this group has crept into Radiant. A second group of people was a works-based group of people who in chapter one he called the circumcision group. And Titus would not be the only time Paul would confront this group of people. In fact, in almost all of his epistles, this group of people showed up. They just went by different names. In other ones, he called them the Judaizers. In fact, the, pretty much the entire book of Galatians was written to this very special group of people. They used to infuriate Paul. And their message kind of went something like this. Hey, thanks for leaning into Christ. Thanks for praying to receive Christ and starting this journey with him. But I need to tell you something. You're not done yet. You're missing some things. See, I'm going to need you to dress a little differently. I'm going to need you to abstain from some foods. I need you to observe some holidays. And guys, I'm going to need you to get circumcised which caused about half the guys in the room to just cross their legs. There were religious people focusing on religious rules rather than the freedom in Christ. 
And I want to be clear on this with salvation. You don't need more rules. You don't need more religion. You require new life. Why? Hear me on this. Because Christ is enough. Christ is enough. And I want to say this to you. Jesus Christ did not die on a cross to change your shirt. He rose from the grave to radically transform your life and to give you freedom. That's why he would say in Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that you have been saved and set free. Why would you go back to a yoke of slavery again? And so no amount of rule following, class taking, and religious checkboxes will buy you eternal life, okay? Only a fully surrendered person to the lordship of Jesus can receive the gift of salvation. There's a big difference. But I need to warn you, those who struggle with religion, I've been in ministry almost 25 years now, they don't know it. They don't see it. It's a blind spot for them. Just know that. It is. It's a blind spot for them. Truth is, they're so busy telling you about the speck in your eye, they don't see the the big old plank in theirs, you know what I mean? That's why Paul would tell Titus, and he'd warn him very harshly in verse 9, he would say, avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law. These are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once. Warn them a second time. And after that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self condemned. Incredibly strong words. Let me be as vulnerable with you as I may be and shoot straight. And I mean this in a completely loving way. When you get to shepherd and minister somebody who's dealing through a life-threatening disease or some health issues in their family, they don't really give a crap whether you have an Easter egg hunt or trunk or treat. Person walking through a sexual identity issue, this beautiful person trying to figure out who they are in Christ. They don't really give a darn about women in ministry. That family walking through divorce, just trying to hold it together as best they can. They don't care how many hymns we sing or whether or not we have expository teaching. They just need to know if there's hope and healing through Jesus Christ. And so I need to remind you of something. And if I'm the one that got us off off the rails on this one, I'm so sorry. Radiant is now and will always be about leaving the 99 to go after the one. Always. We want them to find Jesus. And if I have to throw a bunch of silly plastic eggs out on a field to make new friends, I'm going to do it. And as long as it is not unethical and moral, we will do whatever it takes at Radiant Church to reach people for Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? People need to know there's hope through Jesus Christ. 
and we need to not get caught up in silly arguments about the law and other things. We don't need more religion. We need Jesus. So I love this conversation. Uh, maybe you've seen the movie uh, Angels and Demons from Dan Brown book, and uh, I wanted to play the clip, but I knew the minute I did, we'd get flagged on YouTube and they'd shut our stream off. So I'll just have to show you uh, the dialogue going on in this clip. And maybe you remember it, in Carmelengo, he says to uh, Professor Langdon, he says, do you believe in God, sir? And Langdon says, Father, I simply believe that religion, and then he, he interrupts him. Notice that word religion there, he interrupts him. Carmelingo says, I did not ask if you believe what man says about God. I asked if you believe in God. And Langdon pauses. He says, well, I'm an academic. My mind tells me I will never understand God. And Carmelingo says, and your heart? He says, it tells me I'm not meant to, that faith is a gift that I have yet to receive. So how about you? Let's start our conversation there. Do you believe in God? And have you received the gift of faith? If not, I pray today is the day that you do. Watch this with me. Like you, I was born destined for death because of sin. Sin is anything that goes against God, who is perfectly just and good. We've all sinned, and the result is separation from God. That is true death. God desires restoration. He sent Jesus, who is both God and man, perfect in every way. Being perfect, Jesus died for my sins, paying the debt I couldn't pay, repairing the separation between me and God. By his death, I am made clean. I am a new creation. The unbearable weight of my sin is gone, and I can begin a new life free from sin and true death. This is only the beginning. Because of who Jesus is and what he's done for me, I choose to follow him. My outward self is washed as a display of my inward faith. I eagerly give him my obedience, declaring this gift to the world. God refuses to leave me scarred by sin. His desire is for me to have the humility, kindness, and love of Jesus, to fight the temptation, pride, and laziness of my old self. Knowing this world is still broken, I cling to the hope that is coming when I am with God, finally home. And this hope I have in a future with Jesus brings me great joy. This is what God has done. I deserve death. Jesus died in my place. I am made clean. In obedience, I follow him. I grow in faith, and my future hope brings new life. This is amazing grace. This is the gospel. <laughs> 